0: Hello everyone. I'm Dr. Darsha. And I'm Dr. Altamash Raja. And welcome to Medicine Redefined, a podcast where we will explore the often overlooked but necessary components of health, what we consider to be the fundamentals. We will investigate topics and practices that can give you and your patients the best chance to optimize a healthy lifestyle. It's time to move the needle forward and put the health back in healthcare. Hey everyone, today our guest is none other than Dr. Udo Erasmus. Now, Udo has introduced the importance of essential fatty acids derived from organic flax seeds to the entire world. He has pioneered methods for producing unrefined oils uh, with strictly health in mind, and those methods are still used by manufacturers today for flax and other oils. In the mid-1980s, Udo popularized the use of flax oil through exhaustive itinerary of public lectures which then led to TV and radio interviews. He also had a groundbreaking book called Fats That Heal, Fats That Kill, and that became the industry's bible on fats. He then developed an oil blend, which was an improvement on flax oil, just so he could better make the ratio of omega-3 to omega-6. In this episode, you will hear the zest Udo has. At the young age of 81, Udo is still out there informing everyone about the importance of essential fatty acids and omega-3s and 6s. In this episode, we'll start out with the history of fats. As many of you know, in the 70s, fats were villainized, and then they became something that was really good for our health. And now, there's so much controversy. Are seed oils good or bad for us? What is the proper omega-3 to 6 ratio? How can we even quantify these things and make sure that we're getting the good oils in us? So this is going to be part one of our interview with Udo. And next week, we'll come back with a part two talking more about the roles of essential fatty acids and omega-3s and 6s in different medical conditions. Hope you guys enjoy this one.
1: We, are. <laughs>
0: we have made it. Oh, All right. So we're so already you just recording.
1: A, you're just a young shit. Yeah,
0: that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that is right. That is right. Oh man. Okay. Well, I'm I'm, I'm I'm 81. Yeah, I'm 31. <laughs> <So> <laughs> <you> got... <laughs> All right. Have
1: respect for age now. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Awesome. Unless unless the the aged people are really stupid, in which case, forget it. <laughs>
0: No, I think you got a lot of wisdom to share uh, with the listeners, so I'm excited to delve into this one. Let's see what happens. All righty. Well, hey, we're on Zoom. This is already recording, um, yeah. so let's just we're gonna we're gonna keep all this pre intro stuff into the recording because I think I think the universe deserves it after how much technical support we needed to go through. You know, yeah. the audience. Holy we tried smokes, to, huh? Man, we tried to get on ZenCaster. That didn't work. Troubleshoot for about an hour, and uh, here we are on Zoom. So. Let's an make the best of us. Hour and a half. It's an hour, hour and a half and trying a half. to figure it out.
1: Okay. And now and now
0: we've made it. So so let's yeah. do this. All right. So for the listeners, we've got Udo Erasmus in front of us here in front of me um on the screen and you are an expert in almost all things fats, omega 3s, omega 6s, seed oils. So we're going to we're going to have fun with this one. Um this might even turn into a two-parter, we'll see. Um, but you know i think an interesting place to start udo would be yeah. the story of fats right because i think when a lot of people hear fat in america those yeah. who may not be knowledgeable might say oh fats aren't a good thing right you're supposed to be on a low-fat diet but then you also have this other camp who now is understanding that hey fats are actually good for you right like we need this for our hormones um yeah. we need this as part of our vitality can you take us through the history of fats right from the seventies to the nineties to now, Uh, what kind of reputation has it gone through?
1: Well, I'll go even further back. Okay. As long as there've been living things, there's been fat as part of the structure of living creatures. So you really have to go back four and a half billion years or however, however long it was. Right. And so, you know, and then if you look at, at when creatures eat raw food, like in nature, all the creatures eat fresh, whole raw organic and that's life's standard for food for creatures that eat fresh whole raw organic well in every cell of any food that you eat there's there are fats in every cell in fact they make the membrane that keeps the inside inside and the outside outside and that make you know that that makes things come in and things go out through the membrane, and the membrane. So v, the membrane is super important for anything that's alive, and it's made mostly out of fats. It's got protein in it too, but it's mostly made out of fats. And there, are a particular kind of fat cause, cause they're called phospholipids because they create a structure with fats where you have a, a water soluble and an oil soluble part. And uh, that gets pretty nerdy, I know, But, um, but but every cell in every creature has fat as part of its requirement. Then when you get into more into the animals, fat has always been the main fuel of the animals. For instance, a human being, you know, most people are lower in fat than we are. Human beings have more fat on their body normally than any other creature. That's because we don't have any hair on our, on our, on our skin to keep us warm. So we have deposits of fats under our skin that keep us warm. That's our fur, right? It's made out of fat and you store it as fat because fat has four, has nine calories per gram. Whereas carbohydrates only have four calories per gram. So it is a more efficient way to store fuel, right? And it turns out that if a human being carb loads, like they used to say to do before you went running marathons, you can only store one pound of carbs as animal starch or glycogen in your liver and your muscles, only one pound, then you go running your marathon, and you burn it up in 20 miles. Then you hit the wall, if you don't get to take sugar drinks and stuff, then you hit the wall, and then you're drag your butt across the finish line because the marathon is 26 miles and when you run out of carbs then it takes time to turn on the fat burning on the other hand if you have eight percent body fat which is pretty lean and you burn and you weighed normal weight 140 154 pounds or 70 kilograms And you burned half of that, in other words, 4% of your body weight as fat. You, You burned half of the fat that you're storing in your, under your skin. And you could run 300 miles on that. And so when we began to work with oils, we told the marathoners, you know, you're, you, you're getting the wrong advice. You should carb deplete before you run your race. Because what you want to do is you want to carb deplete because then your fat burning mechanisms are turned on and then you run the entire race on fats and not everybody followed us but the ones who did they came back after said that was awesome I felt after I finished the marathon like I had enough energy to run another one. Hmm.
0: Can I ask you though, is there a point where it switches though, from glycogen carb fuel over to fat, like once the glycogen is used up. Yeah, that's,
1: and that's why it takes time. And that's why people get hit the wall. I see. Because once the carbs are burned, that's when your fat fat burning begins to be turned on, but it takes time. And in fact, carbs, this is how stupid that, that advice was when you have carbs in your body, they turn off fat burning and they turn on fat production. And if you eat more carbs than you burn, then they're going to turn the excess turns into fats. So I call carbs undeclared fats. Because your body turns them into fats, then you have the fats for storage, right? But they turn off fat burning and turn on fat production. Omega threes, on the other hand, turn on fat burning and turn off fat production in the body. So, so, and, and when people say, well, if I eat fat, I'm gonna get fat, that sounds like the logic of a six-year-old, because eat fat, get fat, right? This is simple logic. It's just, that's not how the body works. Eat carbs, get fat. And that's because your blood sugar goes up if you eat too much, and then insulin drives it into the cells, and in the cells you burn, your cells burn what they need, and anything that's left over, has to be turned into fat in the body and then when and and the body's quite good at doing that so by the time the excess carbs have been burnt turned into fat now you have low blood sugar and now your body screams that you eat or die and then you go you start eating overeating gorging because it takes time to digest the fats and uh, the, the carbs and absorb them you'll know, break them down and absorb them it takes time By the time your blood sugar is normal, you've already eaten too much. And so you've already just started the next cycle of what we call carb addiction, right? Which is you eat too much, high blood sugar that can be toxic. Insulin saves you from it, drives it into the cells. In the cells, it's burnt to the extent that you can, that you're actually active and the rest is turned into fat. And now you have blood sugar again and then you have cravings again. And so that cycle has been measured as being somewhere between four and eight times more addicting than cocaine. So oh. that was all always bad advice, right? The eat yeah. fats now, but then it comes to when it comes to fats. Well, there, you know, I, I wrote the book that I wrote was called fats that heal fats to kill. Mm-hmm. So there are good fats and there are bad fats. And you have to know which ones are good and bring them in and you have to know which ones are bad and and keep them out. And uh, so, you know, so that's so saturated fats, those are hard at room temperature, mono unsaturated fats, they're liquid at room temperature, but hard in the fridge and polyunsaturated fats, which include the essential fatty acids that are really the most interesting part. And those are liquid, both at room temperature and in the fridge. So, and that's because the, the molecules of saturated fats, they're straight chains, they crystallize. So they harden at at a uh, higher temperature than the ones that are bent. And so they don't, they don't stack to weather together well. So that's why they're liquid at higher temperature at, uh, even at lower temperatures still. Right.
0: Got it. Yep.
1: But of the whole, I- and then you have trans fats, which are manufactured, although there are some in dairy naturally, but those were industrial fats. And they caused lots of problems, including doubling risk of a heart attack and interfering with immune function and interfering with reproduction in both male and female animals. And they take you towards diabetes. And so lots of, lots of problems. Um, Um, but so, so there are lots of different kinds of fats and oils, which together are called lipids. And, and, uh, if you look at all the fats, there are hundreds of different kinds of fats made out of fatty acids, which are the building blocks of fats. There are only two that are really important. They're called essential and essential. When you talk about nutrients means this is a nutrient. That you have to have to live and be healthy, but you can't make it from anything else in your body, so therefore you have to bring it in from outside. Either as food food or as supplement. That's the first part. The second part of the definition is if you don't get enough of any essential nutrient. You cannot stay healthy. Your health will deteriorate. You will get deficiency symptoms. These are degenerative in nature and they get worse with time. And if you don't get enough of any essential nutrient long enough you die these are the required building blocks for body construction and body function so and then the third part of the definition of essential is if your health is deteriorating because you're not getting enough but before you die because death by definition is not reversible so before you die you bring enough of the essential nutrient that's too low in the diet, you bring enough back into your body, then all the problems that come from not getting enough are reversed. Because life knows what to do with these essential nutrients, provided we take responsibility here at our mouth to make sure that optimum amounts of all essential nutrients land in our body, so our body can make an optimum health body. Hmm. Right? Yeah. And that definition fits 18 minerals, 13 vitamins, nine essential amino acids that come from proteins, and the two essential fatty acids that come from oils mostly. And those we call omega-3 alpha-linolenic acid and omega-6 linoleic acid. If you get both of those in the right ratio because they compete in the body, if you get enough of both into your body, Your body can make what the fish oils contain and what the krill oil contains and what the algae oils contain and what the muscle oils contain. The body can make literally dozens, probably hundreds, because this is ongoing research coming up with new finds just about every month. Dozens of what we're called eicosanoids or prostaglandins, prostacyclins, thromboxanes, leukotrienes in three different series that that play a role in hormone-like regulating functions in every cell in your body 24-7, 365, lifelong. Made out of fats. The most most important moment-to-moment hormones and by the way, and, in, and I remember when I, when I was working, I talked to an Ayurvedic physician, he said to me, you know, in Ayurvedic medicine, they don't, they don't diss the, they don't diss the fats, they don't diss the oils. What they said is, they said, when your fats go off, your hormones go off. And when your hormones go off, everything goes off. Mm-hmm. So one of the first thing they would make sure when somebody came to them sick is to make sure that they were getting their their fats made right and used right and and eaten in adequate quantities. So, omega-6 was established as an essential nutrient kind of in 1929, 1930, but the proof for it happened in 1968 when we started doing intravenous nutrition because then you could do a controlled study. You know, you take it away and problems happen and you put it back and the problems get resolved, that's how you find out. Omega-3 was, they talked about it, but they mixed it up with another uh, linolenic. there's an alpha linolenic and a gamma linolenic acid, the gamma linoleic acid is actually an omega-6 derivative, alpha linolenic acid is the omega-3 essential fatty acid, and for years they didn't make a distinction between the two. So they talked about it in the thirties but it wasn't established until 1981 that alpha-linolenic acid is also an essential nutrient. And I found that out, I I got poisoned in 1980, that's when I became really interested in nutrition. I had a lot of biochemistry and genetics background, so I had a good foundation for trying to figure out how to get my healthy, because the doctors didn't have anything that they could do for it. And the year after I got poisoned, omega-3 was Established as essential. I found out 99% of the population doesn't get enough for optimum health. Every cell needs it. They're five times more sensitive to damage than the omega 6s. So they're a nightmare to work with. And I got super excited because I said, oh my God, if we could make oils, these oils with health in mind, and we could bring back the missing omega 3, oh my God, we could help almost everybody. And I got so excited because helping this just feels good from here you know from here I just got so excited that was the drive for the whole project of making flaxseed oil in 1986 and then I became omega-6 deficient because the balance is is poor between omega-3 and 6 and then working with the blend where the omega-3 and 6 are properly balanced and I've been working uh, that came out in 80, 86 for flax oil 93 94. Mm-hmm. for for the blend. wow, And, uh, and then uh, like to go back to the story um, of what happened in history, when we started working with oils, we were probably at the height of fat phobia. The McGovern report on nutrition and health was published in 1977, and kind of get, became publicized more in 1979. And they said, fats are the worst thing you should have the least of them so they put it on top of the food pyramid they put carbs at the bottom of the food you should eat the most of and then we people started being given that information and a the food py- pyramid was built and that was widely disseminated and in 20 years overweight in the united states went from 25 to 60% of the population in just 20 years and nobody questioned the concept, so we were at the height of fat phobia and I went to Vegas one year. Uh, to talk to the International Society of Vegetarian something so it was it was I, I can't remember what the name was but an international organization There were like. Several thousand people there and when I got they invited me to talk about oils, because they were all doing 10% or less of their calories from fats, like the Pritikin diet. Hmm. And, you know, and so I got up and I said to them, how, how many of you are on low fat diets, and just about all the hands went up. (laughs) Right? Because that's, that that was the deal, right? So I kind of knew the answer. And I said, I said, how many of you have dry skin, and almost all the hands went up. Wow. And I said, the mistake you're making is that you're taking too little fat. They have to be the right kind of fats. They can't be damaged. They're very easy to damage. So they have to be made with health in mind. And when you get enough, when you optimize your intake, you will find out that your skin becomes soft and velvety because omega-3 and omega-6 together form a barrier in the skin against the loss of moisture. And so your skin becomes soft, smooth, and velvety. You need to at least drink less water, too. And, and if your skin is dry, it means you need more oil. And that shows up in a desert more than in the tropics. And it shows up in winter more than in summer. Because in winter, you burn more oil to create heat, to keep warm. So, so in winter, lots of people in, in North America, especially the northern states, you know, dry skin. Oh yeah, skin gets much drier in winter. That's because you're not getting enough of the right kind of oil. And you need more, like I use about four tablespoons in winter when it's cold mm-hmm. to get soft, smooth, velvety skin and two or three in summer to get soft, smooth, velvety skin. Because in winter I burn more of it for heat. And uh, skin, why? Skin gets some blasts and loses them first. Well, nature is pretty smart. You can live with dry skin but if your heart dried out or your liver dried out, that would, that would t- check you out. Right? So, so nature in its wisdom gives them to the inner organs first and skin only gets them if the rest of the body has what it needs. So when your skin is soft, smooth, and velvety, you know that your body is tanked up optimally on the essential fatty acids.
0: Mm-hmm. Very nice. Wow. So, yeah, go ahead. So you're at the conference. Yeah. Most and people so, yeah, their so, hands. Yeah.
1: yeah, and so so basically, I, it was that the height of fat phobia. People said, if you eat fat, you're gonna get fat. People people thought all fats are bad, and the problem was, and I and I, um, you know, part of the reason why I ended up doing so much work on fats is because when I was when I got poisoned by pesticides, and I had cancer to look forward to, and the doctors said we don't have anything for pesticide poisoning uh you know that's interesting about the responsibility of people who can throw the sh- throw this stuff in the environment but they don't have a fix for the problems it causes because pesticides are only made to kill things and the chemistry between microbes and and plants and animals and humans is similar enough that if it's poisonous for one creature there's a really good chance that it's poisonous to many other creatures that you're actually not trying to kill.
0: That's a good point. Oh. If I can just stop you there, because a lot of people don't think about that, right? They think, oh, I'm eating a fruit, so you know it's as it's a lesser species than I am. But regardless, like you said, the biochemistry is the same, right? So if it's going to be harming it's pretty and killing, close. yeah, yeah, or not yeah, pretty close. That,
1: yeah, and guess guess what? You know, if they say, well, pretty soon we're all going to be eating worms and insects, right? Hmm. Well, that's what we make those pesticides against. But they have all the same stuff in it that we need to build our body. Right. So why would we think that if it kills the pests, the, the pests, why, why would we think it would be harmless to us? Right. That's just like that's just like not thinking. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so and and so, um, so. I, I so I was reading the research and I got stuck on fats and oils because it was so confusing. And the mm-hmm. thing that really got me, I read a study that said Omega-6 is essential. I already said what that means. Essential means can't make it, got to have it, got to get it from outside. If you don't get enough, you, your health goes down. If you don't get enough long enough, you die. But if you bring it back before you die, all of the problems that come from not getting enough are reversed. So Omega-6 is an essential nutrient. Right? And the very next study I read, it said Omega-6 Gives you cancer and kills you, and my head exploded. This is in the
0: 80s or about that time. This, 70s, 80s. This was be
1: uh, well 1980. I got poisoned, so that was between 1980 and 1984. Okay, so probably. Still,
0: yeah, okay,
1: right. And my head just exploded. It's like, wait a minute, you can't have it both ways. I have to have it, and then it gives me cancer. It's right. like, what? <laughs> There's got to be something else going on. And that contradiction that drove me nuts was what forced me to look deeper into the question of, well, how are we making these oils,
0: Hmm.
1: right? Because eating seeds and nuts was actually associated with longevity and better health. So how come omega sixes are going to give me in cancer, give me, kill me and uh, give me cancer and kill me when omega sixes are essential. Just like the other, just like the 18 minerals, 13 vitamins, 90 central amino acids and the other and the two fatty acids. How come it's how come how can it do both? And that got me looking into how oils are made. So when they're made, the industry and that started about in 1900, maybe a little before that, but it started getting bigger and bigger. 1900s. So what they and the industry was interested in long shelf life. Because when you can get a long shelf life, which by nature, oils don't have oils, have a short shelf life because they're damaged, the essential fatty acids are damaged by light. By oxygen and by high temperature. So they're very, very vulnerable. They're like, they're like, they're like salad Mm -hmm. perishable goods. They need to be taken care of. So, um. And so the industry wants a long shelf life on the oils because when you have a long shelf life you could make it where you are in uh we're in, in 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 pennsylvania yeah and you could sell it in tokyo and you could sell it in shanghai and you could sell it in berlin mm-hmm. so you get a global market but to get a global market you got to have a at shelf least a life. two-year shelf life yeah and by nature oils are more sensitive than that unless you sell, you know, ship seeds and nuts everywhere because seeds and nuts are protected by nature's packaging quite, quite nicely. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so in order to get the shelf life, they, and they weren't thinking about health in order to get a long shelf life, they found out that if you treat an oil or the seed, you know, you, you squish the seed or you, you dissolve it out with solvents. If, You treat that oil with sodium hydroxide, which is a corrosive base, very corrosive. That's what you clean your sink pipes with when they clog up. It literally burns through all the stuff. I just put some in my bathtub because my bathtub wasn't draining properly. Right. It's called Drano as a, and that's very corrosive base, very intense. If you put it on your skin, it'll burn your skin. It's really intensely, intensely, intensely. Uh, toxic, right? So they do that. Then they treat it with phosphoric acid. That's used commercially to to degrease windows. And again, they take stuff out. Then they bleach the oil with bleaching clays because any color molecules in the oil will absorb light and the light will then damage the oil. But when they bleach the oil, then it goes rancid and smells bad. So they have to deodorize it. Or I used to say de-stinkerize it and to deodorize it, they're actually boiling off the damaged molecules and that's done at frying temperature. So when oils are deodorized, that's done somewhere between 320 and 450 degrees Fahrenheit, because those are the frying temperatures. And when all of that is done, you end up with an oil. That has a half to. One percent damaged molecules, damaged molecules from the processing that never existed in nature, that therefore life never really, ma- really, made a breakdown cleanup program. Why? Because why would nature make something like that if it never existed in nature? Sure. Right. Yeah. So, and then what happens is you eat those and they go, go, they, they go into a place where uh, an essential fatty acid is supposed to be. And in that space, they occupy that space. So the the essential fatty acid can't go there, but they can't do the work of the essential fatty acids. So you get interference with what needs to be going on in that space. And you get in a tablespoon that, sorry, a tablespoon that is 1% damaged. You will get, well, I should ask you, how many, what do you think? How many molecules? How many damaged molecules just oh, would be in a tablespoon of an oil that's 1% damaged? How much?
0: Yeah, this is a pop quiz. I think you just told me this offline, right? <laughs> is it 10 million? Or is it more? So
1: okay. So 10. So okay, let's let's just say that's your answer. Okay. <clears throat> I did tell you. <laughs> and you weren't listening. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> <Dang it. laughs> so no, so and, and people and when I ask people, and I do that on purpose. Because we don't know. We don't know how big molecules are, so it's hard to say how many molecules are in a tablespoon. Most people don't know, right? There's a way to figure it out, but you know, if you do chemistry, they, they explain it to you, and how do you do that? So they always estimate at least a billion times too low.
0: Wow. So
1: the actual number is 60 quintillion damaged molecule in a tablespoon of an oil, 1% damaged. And that's more than a million damaged molecules for every one of your body's 60 trillion cells.
0: Okay, I was way off. (laughs) Yeah, well, I I
1: added some other numbers, so. um, And then I say to them, well, look, you know, you're flying home for the holidays and you're about to get on the airplane and somebody who always tells the truth says to you, oh, by the way, did you know that your chance of crashing and dying on your flight home is a billion times higher than they told you it was, or you thought it was, would you get on the airplane?
0: Uh, Absolutely not.
1: Yeah. And I said to me in Ireland, I said, I would canoe back to Canada because (laughs) my chances wouldn't be good, but I think they'd be, I would take that chance rather than, and, and so, and the reason why I say that is that we're actually, when you, when you get the answer to that question, you know, you realize And people realize when they're they're talking about it, we underestimate the damage we're we're doing to ourselves by using these oils is a billion times, we underestimate it by a billion times. It's we're doing a billion times worse problem for ourselves. When we do that, than we think, and most people use two to four tablespoons of oil, right? And then the oils and plastic bottles and oil swell plastics so plastic leaches into oil that's not supposed to not be in the body either. Right and there's lots of issues now about microplastics and and in, you know in the environment and in the food. And then these come from non organically grown seeds, so you got pesticides in the oil, and one of the reasons why they heat the oil to frying temperature in deodorization is to get rid of half the pesticides. I, I I talked to a scientist, a researcher of, for the oil, American Oil Chemists Society, the umbrella organization for, for that industry and asked him, well, why do you do that? Why when you know it does damage? He said, well, because we can get rid of half the pesticide, you know, and I didn't say anything, but in my head, I'm going, well, I've been pe- poisoned by pesticides, half of the pesticides stay in the oil. I didn't even know there were pesticides in the oil at that time. Mm-hmm. So I said to him, well, why don't you start with organically grown seeds? Because then you don't have to have any pesticides in it. And then he got mad at. Then he got mad at me. And he said, "I don't know what your problem is. The oil is 99 percent good, it's only one percent damaged. And if you got 99 percent on an exam, you'd be damn happy, wouldn't you?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I used to get 100 percent in genetics, because I loved the <laughs> topic. And so I wasn't as impressed. But then I thought, well, maybe I'm overreacting. It's only one percent. And that's when I did the math. 60 quintillion that's a six followed by 19 zeros zeros—in one tablespoon in one tablespoon if it's one percent damage and i i came to the conclusion i can't get healthy on oils like that we should make them with health in mind and so uh, we developed a very very tight system where the oil from the time it's in the seed where it's well packaged by nature has a pretty good shelf life nature's packaging is quite amazing through the pressing the filtering, the settling, the filling, till it's in a brown glass bottle, nitrogen flushed, in a box to cut out all the light, in the fridge at the factory, during that whole process, no light, no oxygen, and low temperature has has to be applied so that the oil does not get damaged by light oxygen and heat. And oils are the most sensitive of our nutrients. They need the most care, they get the least because they're so, so, so sensitive. And omega-3, five times more sensitive than omega-6. And so as a result of all of that, more health problems come from damaged oil than any other part of nutrition, and more health benefits come from making the oil change that your body needs from these damaged oils and from frying with oils, which is the dumbest thing we've ever invented to do do for health, you know, to do to food, if health is what we want. So they have to be made with health in mind if you want them to support your health. Gotcha. And the reason and the reason why, you know, there was oh omega-6 is essential and it gives you cancer and kills you. It's not the omega-6s that give you cancer and kill you. It's the damage done by processing or food preparation. But then when people do studies, they don't point that out. They do, here's here's what omega-6s have some problems. They cause some inflammation, they cause some chronic inflammation, they blah, 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 they they can get you cancer. It's not the omega-6s, it's the damage done by the processing that should have been blamed for it. And most of the people who say don't use seed oils and don't use omega-6s, they've done half the homework, but they didn't do all the homework. We did that homework 40 years ago and developed a way to make oils with health in mind.
0: Right. So let me ask you this. Um, yeah. When we talk about damaged oils, you know, people will always try to say, well, canola oil, and seed oil, right, is worse than just using avocado oil or olive oil. Now, when it comes to the processing, I'm assuming all of these oils are at least going through some of that processing where there's damaged fats. Is that correct? And uh, not not entirely,
1: but most of them are. So, the if it's if you're talking about sodium hydroxide, phosphoric acid, bleached, and and then heated to frying temperature, extra virgin olive oil has not gone through that process because it's it's pressed from the flesh of the olige and floated off on water. Uh, when it, when you're talking about avocado oil, nobody knows what they do because there are no standards for avocado oil or grapeseed oil. No standards. And, you know, they. you can take rotten, you can take in rotten avocado and basically do a chemical feast on it and get some oil out of it. And that oil may not be in really good shape, but you can still get something out of the garbage and then sell it for money. Now that's, kind of, that's, that's what they do. So I would say to people, eat the, you know, eat the avocados, forget the oil, right? Um, but if the oils are colorless, odorless and tasteless, which most of these highly processed oils are, then you know they've gone through those four processes.
0: Okay. And then are you getting omega-3s as well from any of these oils or is it primarily omega sixes that come through um, seed oils, all whatnot. Okay, the second thing is that what the exact percentage
1: of damage is half a percent, 1%, maybe even 2% depends on what the makeup of the oil is. Because if it's saturated fats, they're pretty stable, monounsaturated fats are two and a half times less stable than that. Olive oil is mostly monounsaturated. So it's a relatively stable oil, you can keep it in the cupboard, you don't have to put it in the fridge. Omega sixes are two and a half times more sensitive to damage than omega nines or the monounsaturated and omega three is five times more sensitive than omega sixes to damage done by light oxygen heat. So in some oils, pretty much all oils have some omega sixes in them and it depends what the ratio is omega three to omega six to omega nine to saturated what's going to be the composite effect on the stability of the oil. Okay, but canola oil, for instance, has 10% omega three Ten percent omega three is five times more sensitive to damage than omega six. It's got 24% omega six. So the way I would guess how sensitive it is, well, it's kind of like having an oil that's 75% omega six, because omega threes are five times more sensitive. So 10 times five is 50, and then 24. Okay. Uh, um, soybean oil. 57% omega six, maybe 8% omega three. So 57 plus 24, 57 77, 81. Pretty, pretty sensitive to damage. Uh, what else? Walnut. Walnut has 50% omega six, and then somewhere between uh, 5 to 11, Let so let's say 8 again, so 50 plus 24, 74%. And you're going to be at the high end of, of closer to 1% than closer to half a percent and maybe a little even higher. Uh, um, hemp seed oil. Well, hemp seed oil is usually unrefined, but they do put it in plastic. That's not a good idea. But if it, was go- if it went through all the stuff the other oils go through, it's 57% omega-6 and 19% omega-3. So now you're talking about 57 plus 19 times 3, which is like uh, 60, 57. So 57 plus 57. So it's like 114% omega-6. So it's going to be even more sensitive to damage if you put it through all that other stuff.
0: So Udo, everything you're talking about is super fascinating, right? I mean, to the general public and even us as physicians, we don't really truly realize the roles of fats and the different composition of fats in nutrition. And, you know, honestly, I've been seeing fat as just this whole macronutrient, right? And obviously it has some components that you touched on, monounsaturated, polyunsaturated trans, and then having omega-3 and omega-6s, but not really realizing that there's different percentages. Now, a lot of people when it comes to omega-6s and omega-3s, we'll talk about the perfect ratio. And mm-hmm. for those who listen to Peter Atia or Rhonda Patrick, I believe they had, is uh, uh, his name Bill Harris, I think who's done work on omega-3, yeah. also talk about how that ratio has actually been shifting and how we used to think, I believe it used to be like a uh, six to one or three to one and how we actually think it may, might need to be a three to two or you know, I think my numbers might be a little off, but take mm-hmm. me through the understanding of what the ratio means and why it is truly important for us.
1: Okay, so we talked about omega three alpha linolenic acid and omega six linoleic acid, both are essential by the definition can't make it got to have it die if you don't get long enough, you know, reversed if you if you bring it back before you die, right. So both are essential. And the body makes a whole bunch of derivatives out of it because we have the genes to do that in every cell that has a nucleus. But the, but the enzymes, the genes that make the enzymes that convert omega-6 are the same genes that have the same enzymes that convert omega-3. So what happens if you have a huge amount of omega-6 and just a really tiny amount of omega-3, then the Omega threes won't get converted because they get crowded out by the Omega sixes. And the same thing, you get too much Omega three, it can crowd out the Omega sixes if they're too low. And that's why the ratio is important. You need them both. They're both essential. They have some opposing functions. And they kind of ride shotgun on each other. They're like a tag team. Right. And like one of them, Uh, Omega-6 produces inflammation for healing, but then Omega-3 blocks that when the healing is done. And so so it's important that you get them right. Now, what's happened is when we lived on farms, we ate different than we eat now. And in the past hundred years, our intake of Omega-6 has doubled. And our intake of Omega-3 has gone down to one-sixth of the levels 150 years ago. So we are way out of balance. We got a lot of omega six and hardly any omega threes. That's a problem. So when we so so when we started making flaxseed oil in 1986, uh, the guys I've worked with said, oh, this is the best source of both essential fatty acids. I didn't think that was true because I didn't know of a traditional diet that was richer in omega threes then two and a half times more than omega-6s. And that seemed to me maybe a limit, but I didn't know. So I did an experiment on myself. I only used flax oil as my only source of fat in the diet. And within three months, I had omega-6 deficiency symptoms. Dry eyes, skipped heartbeats, arthritis-like pain in my finger joints and thin papery skin. Classic omega-6 deficiency symptoms. So how do you fix it? Well, if it comes from too much omega-3, too little omega-6, you bring up the omega-6s. So I ate a whole bunch of sunflower seeds, which only have omega-6s and no omega-3s. And within a a couple of weeks, all my symptoms were gone. And at that point I said, you know, maybe flax oil is not, it's not a well-balanced oil. It can actually make people omega-6 deficient that's why i don't recommend it anymore and we made a blend where the omega-3s and sixes come we have nine ingredients in the blend and the ratio is twice as much omega-3 as omega-6 and you can do that forever and never become omega-6 deficient and so so the so the so the issue there's a competition between them the other issue that gets a a lot of attention. People say you can't absorb the essential fatty acids, or you can't convert the essential fatty acids. Well, they when they and and as absorb is not a problem at all. If when you eat fat, about ninety four percent is absorbed into the body, and six percent ends up in your stool. So that's pretty good. That's pretty good, except if you have uh, celiac disease badly, or um, uh, cystic fibrosis, in which case you have other, other things you you don't digest well as well. So, but generally speaking, if you're normal, uh, oil, oil digestion and oil absorption are not a problem. Okay. But the, then there's a question of the conversion. And when we came out with flax oil, the same week we came out with flax oil that we went public in 1987, uh, somebody in one of the fish oil companies said, the body can't convert. And that was turf protection. Because before that they used to say uh, 30% of the population can't convert enough omega-3 alpha-linolenic acid into EPA and DHA in the fish oil. That means 70% don't need fish oil. Now they're saying nobody can convert. But the research always said the body can convert. And what's interesting about it is nobody complains about not being able to convert omega-6, but omega-6 is converted by the same enzymes that convert omega-3. So the issue isn't that the body can't convert, the issue is that 99% of the population doesn't get enough starting material to do the conversion. And if you talk to Walter Willett, who's the head of the uh, Harvard School of Public Health, And he's best known for outing trans fatty acids and the damage that they do and uh, getting the FDA to to take them off the generally recognized as safe category. Somebody asked him, what would happen if your body could not convert alpha-linolenic acid into EPA and DHA? And without any hesitation, he said, you'd be dead. The body can convert. It's not an issue. And there are many, many studies have been done that show the body can convert convert. Women convert better than men. That's because when they're pregnant, they have to build a second brain in their in their womb. So it's important for survival of the species that women be better converters. Men don't get pregnant, so they they need a lot less DHA. And then there are a number of reasons why you can or ways that you can convert or in, in you can speed up or slow down conversion. For instance, if you don't have enough vitamin B3, vitamin B6, vitamin C, zinc, or magnesium in your diet, and there's a percentage of the population that's deficient, you slow down the conversion. If you have a lot of sugar or starch or saturated fats or monounsaturated fats, you slow down conversion. If you have a lot of omega-6s, you slow down omega-3 conversion. If you have a lot of omega-3s, you can slow down omega-6 conversion. And then there's certain, uh, certain drugs can slow down conversion. If you're obese, your conversion is going to be slower because that mostly comes from sugar and starches and, and, uh, and, and interfering fat, fat molecules. Uh, if you eat turmeric, The great spice from India, it increases conversion. I don't know how many other spices and herbs there are that do that, but this one does for sure. If you're plant based, you convert twice as fast. If you don't have enough in your diet, your body conserves it twice as long, so you only need half as much. And it goes on and on and on. There's like all kinds of, and that makes sense because all of this takes place in a context. Right. If you're dead, there's no conversion, right? If you haven't been born, you know, if you haven't been conceived yet, there's no conversion. So, you know, and the body's made out of food, water and air. And depending on the quality of food, water and air, it's going to affect everything that goes on in your body, including the conversion of omega-3 and omega-6 to the derivatives. Right. What is the ratio that we do want to aim for? Uh, I I use two to one, and that's because most people don't get enough omega-3, but also because omega-3 are a very unique molecule. They're super, super high energy. They're super important for the brain, although the brain turnover of omega-3 is only uh, 2.4 to 3.8 milligrams a day. So it's not very much. So if you had one gram of alpha-linolenic acid, you would need less than... Less than a half percent conversion to get enough for your turnover, your brain turnover. And the brain has the most uh DHA in it, gotcha. And just right? to
0: clarify, it's two to one, six to three. No, or three to three, six, three to six. Okay, more three, right? Right, right. Sorry, I'm no. just thinking. Most of the population though is probably flipped at this point, right? They have more six. Well, the three.
1: population is more like 10 times more omega six, wow. maybe okay. even 20 times, maybe for some people, even 50 times more omega six than omega three. And that's way off, way off. But omega threes have their, you know, we've done studies with athletes. We give them this blend. That's that's two twice as much omega threes, omega six. Tablespoon per 50 pounds of body weight per day. Cause that's a ballpark optimum. For for skin feel, and we had them do their sport to exhaustion, whatever their sport was. And within 30 days of starting to take the oil, their performance to exhaustion was up forty to sixty percent. Hmm. And it's the omega threes that mostly do that.
0: what, what How is that working? What is that working on? Well, the omega-3s
1: are very, they're much more sensitive than omega-6s to uh, oxygen uh, damage, light damage, Well, in the body they they increase oxygen metabolism and metabolic rate and energy levels. You heal in a third to a half the time, you recover from fatigue quicker, those are all oxygen requiring processes and omega-3s do that five times better than omega-6s. So that's why, but the other thing that's interesting about it is that, you know, the way I talk about it sometimes is, look, your body is a fire. Fire is your energy, you want to have a good solid fire, that's your energy, that's your vitality, that's your ability to, to do stuff. That's what makes you capable and competent. But if you have a strong fire in your body. You're also gonna have more sparks. Just like when you've, you, know, you build a big fire on the beach, right? You, you put in lots of logs and you really stoke that fire and more and more sparks, you get lots of sparks. So if you have a good fire in your body, you also need competent spark control. And we call those free radicals, oxygen free radicals, uh, you know, um, uh, oxidative stress, You know, so we talk about them that way. Well, what's interesting about omega-3s, about 80% of the omega-3s are burnt for energy as fuel in your body. And of course, they are also in the cell membranes and they improve cellular membrane reactions and they make hormones work better at the cell receptor level. They have lots of functions that everything that your body does, gets 40 to 60% more energy. So whatever its function is, it'll do it better. But 20% of the omega-3s are not burned as fuel. 20% are converted into derivatives, among which are very powerful antioxidants and anti-inflammatories that act as spark control. They're called uh, protectants and resolvents. And uh, that's a pretty new, they've only figured that out in the past, probably 10, 15 years. And uh, so you have here, you have like if, uh, so you have the fuel and the fuel, part of the fuel gets converted into its own spark control. How cool is that? There's no other fuel molecule that does it. Sugar doesn't do that. Starch doesn't do that. Saturated fats don't do that. Monounsaturated fats don't do that. Omega-3s do that. Only omega-3s. Fascinating. And, and yeah, it's, it, it's really cool, right? So you get your fire, and at the same time, you get the spark control from that same one molecule.
0: Wow. How do you recommend people get tested, right? Like where do they start to know whether they're out of balance or if their ratio is way off? How Or what are some telltale signs and symptoms, but also how can they actually test? Yeah,
1: so the testing, there are three ways you can test fats in your body, one is plasma, one is red blood cell membranes, and the third one is fat deposits. And you're going to get different answers, unless you've been eating the same diet, exactly the same diet for two years or more, you're going to have different, because the plasma just tells you what you've been doing today. The blood cells tell you what you've been doing over the past 120 days. And the fat deposits tell you what's been happening over the past 16 months or more. And people used to, doctors used to sell me, send me those and say, what does this mean? Because they didn't know what the hell they, they were looking at. And so I, I basically, I don't use those tests where you want to do it is you want to do it at the front end. Get the right kind of fats and the, and what you need to do basically is optimize your intake of omega-3 and omega-6. Made with health in mind, in the right ratio, and then you—that cuts you slack on everything else that you do. So, so I, what I do is I I develop this blend that you can't become deficient on. That has that ratio of two, two twice as much omega three as omega six. That's where we've always seen our best results, and I've, we've been working on this for like forty years, right? And we've I've been to forty countries, and we get the feedback, and we re, the, we. Uh, You know, we, we welcome the feedback. And so that's where we've always got the best results. That's where we got the best results with athletes. There are researchers who have different ideas. Some of them say you should have four times more omega-6 than omega-3. They call that the perfect ratio. And it's not the perfect ratio because you get better results when you, when you use twice more omega-3. Some people say one to one is the historical ratio. That's complete bunk because your ratio depends on where, where you live, you know, because in the north and south poles, there's more omega-3s and more omega-3 sources. And then you go towards the equator, then you get more omega-6s. Then you get to the Mediterranean, you get more omega-9s. Then you get to the tropics, you get more saturated fats. And in the tropics where it's hot, saturated fats are cooling. So you want that and in the north where it's cold, you want warming oils and omega-3s are warming oils. Right.
0: Nature has played out.
1: <laughs> now, except we all live in a temperate zone now because we spend so much time indoors in air conditioning. So that whole thing of the latitudes has changed. Right. Mm-hmm. So you got to take, you got to take that into account.
0: Um, Can I ask you a question here? Yeah. You know, you mentioned omega nine, and yeah, I, I think some of our listeners might be thinking, well, what is that? And what kind of role does it play? Is it similar to omega three, omega six? Is it something yeah. on its own?
1: No. Wait, omega-3 means it has, you know, the first double bond starts at carbon three from the methyl end. Again, this is like this is techie, right? I love it. That's why Omega six means <laughs> the, the first double bond is at carbon six from the methyl end on the fatty acid. And Omega nine means the first double bond and the only double bond is starts at Omega nine and goes to um, uh, starts at the Omega nine from the methyl end and goes to Omega 10. Hmm. So it's a double bond in the fatty acid chain, but Omega nine is not essential because your body can make it out of sugar and starch. Hmm. So when people say, Oh, olive oil is incredibly good. No, it's not that good. It's good that it's not damaged if it's extra virgin olive oil and they're not cheating on what they actually put into it, which is an issue these days. Uh, but omega, uh, omega-9 omega makes 80% of olive oil. It's not essential. It's only got 10% omega-6 and it has no omega-3s at all. Mm. And the other 10% is saturated fat.
0: That's interesting, right? The reason I bring it up is you mentioned how yeah. in the Medi- Mediterranean zones, you, you'd find those omega-9s. And people oftentimes associate Mediterranean, Mediterranean diet, blue zones, longevity, and, you know, them yeah. having a lot of olive oil in their diet really being the key towards their health span and, and, and lifespan. What, what's yeah. your take on that?
1: Well, first of all, if you, if you live in the Mediterranean, it's a great place for growing veggies. And any diet you eat that has a lot of veggies in it, especially fresh veggies, salads, and all that stuff is going to be a diet that supports your health. Remember fresh, whole, raw, organic. And then in the days when we only had rocks to hunt with, we were probably gather gather gatherer hunters rather than hunter-gatherers because the hunters came home without meat, then they ate vegetables because they don't run away. They don't fight back. They're really easy to hunt down and kill, right? So, uh, but in terms of the oil, well, they didn't fry with the oil traditionally, a lot of people don't know that, what they did is they cooked their food in water, just like everybody did when you go back to 1900 or before, most of the cooking was done in water. So then they cooked their veggies in water, they dumped the oil, uh, sorry, they dumped the water, and then they put oil on it because it it, uh, enhances flavors and improves the absorption of oil soluble nutrients in foods. So oil belongs with food. They didn't fry with it. Now everybody fries with it. The best thing about olive oil, it's relatively stable because it has virtually no omega threes. Doesn't have enough omega six, doesn't have enough omega three. It's pretty stable. And a lot of people like olive oil. Because it's pretty stable, you can keep it in your cupboard, you don't have to put it in the fridge. You, you can ship it without refrigeration. You know, when we ship our oil with uh, uh, to and it's more in transit more than two weeks, we ship it refrigerated. Nobody wants to do that with oil. You know, when people go on keto diets, they use saturated and monounsaturated fats, butter and coconut and and you know, and the reason why they do that is because you can store those. You don't have any keeping problems. You don't have to take extra care. Nobody wants to take the extra care, but the keto diet is not sustainable. If you don't pay attention to the omega-3s because the omega-3s and sixes, I I mean, both of those, because omega-3 and omega-6 are the only thing from fats you actually need and can't live without. So if you do a keto diet and you don't pay attention and you don't put priority on omega-3 and omega-6 it is not a sustainable diet. You can, you can lose some weight on it, it is not sustainable. The only way you can make a diet sustainable is you gotta make sure you get optimum omega-3 and optimum omega-6 undamaged and in the right ratio. And that's, and that's, that's you know, it took a lot of work. There's a lot of care that needs to be taken to keep those two oils fresh. Now, let me say one other thing that comes out of this. You know, people say saturated fats are bad for you. A lot of people say that. And the reason why is because saturated fats make your platelets more sticky. So they head you in the direction of heart attack. And they make you more insulin resistant. So they head you in the direction of diabetes. But here's the kicker. The kicker is omega-3s make you more insulin sensitive. So they take you away from diabetes. And they make your platelets less sticky. So they take you away from heart attack. And saturated fats cause you problems when you're omega-3 deficient. 99% of the population doesn't get enough omega-3s. So if you optimize your omega-3 intake and balance it with omega-6s, saturated fats are not a problem. Then you can eat saturated fats, but you you have to, again, you have to make that your priority, omega-3 and omega-6, made with health in mind, in the right ratio. That has to be our, your priority for anything that is health-related around the issues of fats and oils.
0: Makes sense. This is this is really amazing to me because I liken omega-3 and 6s from an evolutionary perspective as somebody would with LP little a when it comes to cholesterol and blood clotting, right? So some people are genetically. Um, they, they are predisposed to having an increased LP little a. And we now know from that oh, marker, LP a. Mm-hmm. right? From, you know, those markers are an ApoB. Those markers actually promote um, thrombosis, right? They promote clotting. And the reason why is obviously being evolutionary as gather hunters, we were more prone to having more damages and wounds. And so you would need that cascade to really kick in. But now in our modern day society, we find ourselves not having those issues right and but evolution mm-hmm. hasn't caught up yet right and it almost seems as if the story of fats is similar and that's something we need to pay attention to is that evolutionarily omega 3s have their role omega 6s have their role both are vital both are essential but we need to respect exactly why they're there in the first place and restore that you know golden ratio so to speak in our bodies so right. i just i found that really cool yeah, but but let me say something about
1: lipoprotein little a, mm. you know, and what what's it interesting about lipoprotein little a, if you take niacin in high doses, these are higher doses than you would get from food, you lower lipoprotein little a. And, and vitamin C does that too. And Linus Pauling, who kind of like, got into that big time in his later years, you know, he was saying that lipoprotein A, well, first of all, It can kill you. So he says, Well, you know, when you think of of it from an evolutionary point of view, if it only had a downside but no upside, then the people who had that factor would have been removed from the gene pool. So it must have had an upside. And so the upside was when the, during the ice age, when there weren't green plants and there were scarce sources of vitamin C, lipoprotein little a, protected people from scurvy, from dying, from dying before they reproduced. And that's why the human race survived. And so v- when you get enough vitamin C, that will also lower lipoprotein little a. But it was better to die after reproducing than to die beforehand. And so lipoprotein A was prote- protective in, in that sense. But you, but people died earlier because the vitamin C was, was basically, uh, uh under a mile of ice.
0: <laughs> right. And going back to right? talking about women, right. Have being childbearing, having that increased conversion probably yeah. because of the trauma that they're going through while, while delivering and being in labor. Well, right? it's, so,
1: it's, uh, so. it's, uh, it's estrogen related it's because okay. they gotta, they gotta build a whole brain. In. Actually, the research says when a woman, most women don't get enough omega-3, right? Okay. So what happens? The child will get it out of their brain. Hmm. And nature is like that, right? Nature says the child's the future, mom's the past. If we have to, we will sacrifice the past to, to pr- Build the future, promote the future. Mm-hmm. Right? So the child gets brain from her, her brain gets, gets Omega three from her brain. And they've shown that each child gets less than the previous child. Each child depletes the mother further. They've also shown that women get two to 15 times more than men the following conditions, depression, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, collagen diseases, inflammatory diseases, and autoimmune diseases. And they think it's the depletion of omega-3s or essential fatty acids, but in our case, omega-3s that sets them up for all of those conditions. And their take home for us from their research is women need to make sure that they get a reliable source of both the essential fatty acids, and I'll add in the right ratio and not damaged, both for their own health and the health of their children.
0: Well, so I think Udo, this is a perfect time to transition into gut health, right? And the role of omega three and six is, because we know that the gut is such a, vital organ for immunity, right? Yeah. Especially with just the microbiome and us, yeah, you know, research has shown now about 80% of our immunity is actually kind of stored in our gut. So take me through wherever you want to start the relationship between fats and the gut. Yeah. Well,
1: when I started working on fats, basically it was because it was the idea that was most confused and needed the most attention to to make sense of. And when I finished that, and by the way, Omega threes are also very good for the probiotics in your gut. They, they friendly bacteria in your gut, they work together. Uh, they, I think the probiotics actually convert Omega threes as well, mm. but I'm not sure if not, there's not a lot of research on that yet. So then I said, okay, well, what's next? Once I, once I figured out the, the story of fats, what's next? Well, digestion is the second most neglected area everybody's always got something going on either you're pooping or you're you got diarrhea or you're constipated or you got bad breath or you're burping up acid or you know you you get you get you get sulfur belches or you get stomach aches or you get you know food sensitivities allergies bloating you know so there's a lot and that's because so much it's all foreign material it goes through this tube Which is, by the way, is outside your body. Digestion takes place outside your body, because the inside of your digestive tract is outside the body. So the digestion takes place outside the body, and then your body sucks up what it needs, right? And because so much foreign material is there, it is the most intense. You know, it's it's actually more active than your brain. You know. And digestion is more important than your brain because you can be, you can have an IQ of 20 and still do really well on food, right? Or you can say there are jellyfish, 250 million years they've been living here. They have a really good digestive system and no brain at all, right? Right. So, so, so digestion is super important for survival and There are really four things that you need to do to help digestion. One of them is, of course, we go back to fresh whole raw organic. If you eat raw foods, there are enzymes in the raw foods that when you chew up those foods and when you swallow them, by the time they get in your acid bath, 60% of the digestion of the food has been done for you by the enzymes in the raw food. On average, 60. It's 10 to 90% for different foods. And so that's really important. And why is that important? Well, because we cook our food. And now, when we cook our food, we're actually making our digestive system do more than twice as much work as it was intended to have to do. So, guess who gets involved? Well, the immune system gets involved. If, digestion, if your digestive system can't make enough acid and enzymes to get it done, then the immune system comes along and, and works in digestion. So you tie up your immune system in your digestive system, and then it's not free to go after all of the other things it should be doing around the body. So if you cook your food, you should replace the enzymes you destroyed when you cooked the food. Because then you take a load off the digestive system, which now frees the immune system, which, by the way, is why um, it's why well, it's why it's why uh, enzymes are recommended even for viral infections, even for bacterial infections. Because the enzymes, the protease enzymes that digest protein, they will digest the protein coat off viruses, and most viruses have protein coats, not all of them, but most of them. And when you when digestive enzymes digest the protein coat off the virus then the virus is put out of commission because it can't get into the cell. It needs the protein coat. It needs the, it needs the landing module. It needs the, you know, the, the contractiles proteins to push its genetic material into the cells. So when I get a cold or start getting a sore throat, I'll take a, a capsule of digestive enzymes with protease in it, chew it up, whoosh it around in my mouth everywhere. And I, what I'm doing is I'm helping take a load off my immune system by putting as many viruses out of commission as possible. When a virus goes into the cell, you know, it, goes, it commandeers the cell machinery, makes 200, 300 copies of itself, and then the cell blows up and now you've got 200, 300 viruses all looking for a cell. And that's why it takes seven to nine days to get over cold because your immune system has to figure out what's the virus. And then, you know, uh, how do we make the antibody against it? And then how, how many antibodies do we make to take it down? And that takes several days, but you could pick it off before they get into your cells. You're actually taking a huge load off your digestive system. So that's that, that's the digestive part. The, Probiotic part, you know, we, we have, everybody knows by now, probably that we have 10 times more microbes in our gut than we have cells in our body. And between them, they have about a hundred times more different genes than we have in our genetic material. And in our gut, they make all kinds of stuff. Some of it is toxic and some of it is helpful. And you know, it's uh, so so basically um, some of that is absorbed into our body and it affects how our body works. If you eat meat, you get un- unfriendlier bacteria than if you eat plants and the shift happens very quickly within days of switching to a meat diet, switching to a plant diet, switching from a plant to a meat diet, happens very quickly. Probiotics get killed. They're usually on plants. That's where a cow gets them. They start in its mouth when it eats grass. So you get that digestive, uh, you, you get probiotics and you want them to start in your mouth and they work their entire way through your digestive tract and they keep the unfriendly bacteria from getting out of control. So when you cook your foods, you kill them. So you need to replace those too. I brush my teeth with them at night before I go to bed. I work up with exponentially less severe, bad breath in the morning. And there's a whole bunch of them. The best ones are the bifidobacteria and the lactobacillus there again, they take more care. They need refrigeration. Uh, they don't form spores. So they're not as hardy as some other ones. And we work with those unbelievably good. The third one is fiber. Fiber is the food for, for microbes eat lots of eats, lot eats eat lots of plants. And then the fourth one is bitters. Uh, Bitters are uh, herbs that are good for both digestion and liver function. And if you do those four things right, you can pretty much pick off most of what goes wrong in the digestive tract. But all we're doing is bringing it back in line with how it was in nature before we got so civilized and prostrated our foods into such a mess.
0: Right, right. And what does the research show about the role of, having this good ratio of omega three to six is with gut health, right? Like how is it exactly working as far as the gut lining goes and what the role is in that regard?
1: Well, yeah. Okay. Places, uh, they, they both play a, a role in the cell membranes. They make the cell membranes more efficient. Omega threes make them do their job 40 to 60% more effectively, just like they make the muscles do more. They also make hormones work more effectively at the cell receptor level. Uh, so they, So they strengthen the energy, the cells ability to do their job, whatever their job is throughout the body. Uh, In terms of they slow down uh, digestion a little bit. That means there's more time to get the digestion done. So they help in that way. And um, I'm not sure that they have they, they may have other functions i i don't know offhand but they also make your bones stronger and they make your hair and nails grow better and they're very important for vision uh pregnancy we talked about the liver and and uh, kidneys require essential fatty acids they are extremely important for wound healing i mean it just goes on and on and
0: on yeah for sure yeah absolutely so well udo i know i know we were talking offline about continuing with the part two. And I think that would be wise. There's so much more I want to ask you. I mean, I haven't even touched on the anabolic potential of omega-3s, right? Especially in the rehab world, which I'm closely tied to as a physical medicine and rehabilitation doctor. A lot of the research now showing about disuse atrophy and preventing those things. Um, So a lot of new research coming out on that. So definitely want to pick your brain on that. But also just about human nature, philosophy, and uh, healthcare. You know, you shared an awesome story about y- you going to medical school for a year um, and kind of about that. So we'll save all that for part two. Um, so the audience has something to look forward to. But um, I really appreciate you coming on here, giving such a great comprehensive overview of omega-3, omega-6s, fats, and just really um, educating us. I mean, things that obviously we don't learn in medical school, but a lot of what the audience also just doesn't learn through social media or wherever they get their news from. So thanks for educating this.
1: And even if you're, you know, I have, I'm lucky because I took the chemistry, the biochemistry, but a lot of what I've learned, that didn't come out of the research. It came out of actually working with people and seeing the differences it make because the research is like pretty limited. I mean, there might be, there might be thousands of studies, but it's still pretty limited. And to work with, to actually work with people and see the changes. And, uh, you know, it's like it's unbelievably amazing.
0: For sure. Yeah. Yeah. With that, we'll see everyone on part two. Yep. That sounds good. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, there's so much controversy in the world right now in regards to fatty acids, seed oils, omega-3 and sixes. I mean, it goes on and on. And so we're super grateful that Udo could come on and inform us all about fats and the research that he's been a part of and what he's read through and the things that he's experienced at the uh, young age of 81. So if there's anyone that you know who wants to get educated about nutrition, especially about fats, please send them this episode. I think, you know, one of the most important concepts that I've learned is that our lived experiences are truly different depending on the decade that we grew up in, right? So if somebody grew up in the 70s, they might think that fats are really bad for them, and they still may have that mindset, whereas somebody growing up in the 2000s may have a completely opposite relationship to fats and nutrition. So please send this to people that you know could benefit from it. Uh, Next week will be part two, and we will again have Udo on, but we will be talking about the role of these fatty acids in medical conditions. As always, if there are any guests that you want us to speak to about any types of topics, please go on medicineredefined.com, leave us a review, and in that review, let us know who it is that you want us to bring on and exactly what you want us to talk about, and we will try our very best to grant that wish. As always, everything in this podcast is for educational purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, and we are not providing medical advice. No physician-patient relationship is formed, and anything discussed in this podcast does not represent the views of our employers. We recommend that you seek the guidance of your personal physician regarding any specific health-related issues. And thank you to our team, Haritha Yapuri and Ethan Ju, for the production of this podcast. We'll see you here next week.